Welcome to episode 158 of the GSD Entrepreneur Podcast with your hosts, Jules and Statoya. Running a successful business never comes without its challenges, but it also includes a lot of highs. In this GSD Entrepreneur Podcast, we explore both. We dive into what it looks like when entrepreneurs are committed to getting done. These are people who are pursuing their dreams, so we dig deep to understand how they are doing it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Kathleen Black is North America's leading real estate team coach and trainer, delivering her proven success techniques to agents and teams around the world. That growth is worth billions, yes, with a B, in additional sales volume annually across her client network, with 80% of her clients being national top 1% producers. Kathleen is also the best-selling author of The Top 1% Life. Her success centers around integrity, honesty, and results-driven measures. Kathleen is also the driving force behind the Ultimate Team Summit, which is the largest team-specific real estate summit in North America, and the Ultimate Mastermind series of events, including the 100 Deal Plus Ultimate Mastermind. Kathleen lives in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada, with her two free-spirited, independent, and very loved children, Ethan and Ella and their cat, Ethel. What a pleasure to meet and get to spend time with this dynamic human. We hope you enjoy the show. All right, GSD Entrepreneur listeners, thank you once again for hitting play on us this week. We are excited to come to you and have a conversation, even amid, or maybe especially amid, all of the COVID-19 coronavirus talk that we have been in the middle of over the last number of weeks. And uh, it feels like, feels like it just keeps evolving every day, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, um, we're going in our second month. Or we're, no, we're two months in. I think, uh, I think t- this is the eighth week we've been in quarantine. Yeah, and, it's, and it, I think it's just really crazy. I think one thing that we've learned by doing Zoom call after Zoom call is no matter who we connect with, whether they're And we had a call last week with someone in Hungary. Then we had a call with someone in China. Then we had a call. So we're going to have some, a call with someone in Hawaii and it doesn't matter where they are in the world. They've been affected by this crazy pandemic. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we wouldn't have had an opportunity to meet any of these people. Right. If it wasn't for this crazy pandemic. So for us and our companies, this has actually opened up a lot of doors because we had to get creative yeah. in, in what we're doing and taking a product to market. So to us, it's been a good thing. So, you know, it, I mean, I know it's not good for everyone and, and, and I'm not trying to make light of the heavy situation at all because there are people losing their lives and family members. So we do want to keep those people, that in mind and know that, you know, our prayers go out to those people. But it has been an opportunity for us to really focus in and kind of dial in on our company and where we are and where we need to go. Yeah. And you know, it's, I think it's, and we'll, we'll get to our guest who we're actually really excited to talk with and, and introduce you to in, in one minute. But uh, we had a, a conversation yesterday with a, a really successful business owner and she is, she does everything by the book. So her meetings are really professional. She works with very big companies. And she said, you know, it's just really hard because her kids will jump on a Zoom call or they'll run in the background or they'll whatever, do a parade, do a parade <laughs> you know, during the call. And, you know, I just said, that's okay. Yeah. Like what's really crazy about this quote unquote new normal that we're in is there's, while we're distanced from each other, 
we're actually being let into a deeper part of each other's lives mm-hmm. that we maybe wouldn't have seen had we, you know, just met up at the office or got on a professional Zoom call where we, you know, are dressed to the nines and all of that. There's just a different level, I think, of grace that's offered. And uh, just, I don't know, it's just been really cool to meet and like see in person people's kids as they pop on and they're fighting with each other and mm-hmm. they need to stop and, you know, break them up and all of that. So anyway, it's a, just a, a, a different level, I think, that we have come into. And in that regard, I hope that stays the new normal. Yeah. I mean, I, I do hope that. But all that said, we are really excited to introduce to you today our guest, Kathleen Black. Kathleen came to us uh, through a, I believe her PR firm yeah, reached PR out and asked them. us to tell her story. And we're honestly, we're, we're really hesitant with those kinds of introductions. And, and I'll tell you why, because relationships matter so much to us. And we really only want people on this show who we know are GSD entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So get shit done kind of entrepreneurs um, or people. And, but when we did research on Kathleen, we said, oh my gosh, she fits the bill. Yes. We've got to get her on the show. So Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Yeah, it was my inside team who reached out, actually, somebody oh, uh, nice. with us. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm glad nice. that worked well, out. I, you know, we are too, and tell them great work on that because uh, you definitely caught our attention where a lot of people, because we get requests for that kind of stuff all the time and we just end up saying, you know, no, our schedule's full or whatever, but to you, you were different. So we're really excited to get to know you right alongside of our listeners today. So you founded a consulting kind of coaching consulting firm specifically for real estate agents, right? Or real estate focused people. Yeah, for sure. Our niche has been top producers in real estate who want to expand out and and basically create a real, you know, not real, they already have a business, but a more structured uh, business that gives them a bit bit more freedom and makes sure it's, you know, found a strong foundation to build on top of. But Mm -hmm. it's, it's expanded. We do a lot that's not real estate specific, but we're known, we focus in the real estate industry. Got it. I love how you say it offers them more structure so it can give them more freedom. Hmm. And that's not, those aren't two words that really typically go together. Uh, You know, if you're in a structured classroom, you don't necessarily have more freedom. So I love that you're using these two opposing words many times and making them like, Hmm. I love the fact that you can have structure and still have more freedom. I don't, I I don't. Yeah. So let's do this, Kathleen, if you're, if you're great with it, let's uh, get you to take us back. So this is what we always do on the show. Um, We just want to get to know you and your story. So if you take us back where you grew up and then sort of walk us through the path of your life, that's gotten you to where you are now. Sound good? Yeah, for sure. Right, and great. and I, yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, I hear a lot of people answer that question and sometimes I wish I had like a short form answer, but it's a, it's a big question with a long answer, but I'll try to condense it as much as possible. I always kind of joke and say, you know, like a cat, it's like nine lives, but um, essentially where did I grow up until I was in grade four? I grew up in Peterborough, which is a city that both of my uh, parents and both of their parents are from, which is about an hour, just, well, maybe an hour and 20 minutes um, away from Toronto, which is uh, the biggest, it's not the capital of Canada, but it's definitely the biggest like city in Canada for sure. And we're in Ontario. So I grew up there until grade four. And then we moved closer to the city um, pretty 
typical parents went through well, typical upbringing until parents went through a really kind of messy divorce. And so I had nine or three, three schools I went to in grade nine. So I always look at that. And I think that was the start of me kind of realizing that you can really recreate yourself in life. So it was a really interesting time for me. I switched high schools from, you know, all the friends that I grew up with and went to a new one in the city and decided I wouldn't be called Katie anymore. I'd be called Kathleen and I wouldn't dress the same or focus on the same things. And I just kind of did this fun experiment of, you know, who do you want to be and who are you and how would it feel to show up differently? And I don't know how I got it in my head, but I did. And I look back and I think probably one of the best things I I ever did, because I really realized, you know, what you see in your mind, you can kind of create. So um, got through high school, I ended up to leave home and uh, live with a friend and their family for the past the last, I guess, year and a half, almost two years of high school, because we used to have a fifth year that we don't have anymore that we called mm-hmm. OAC here. Um, yeah, so that was interesting. And that was amazing, because they kind of took me in, which I look back and people are like, was that hard, but it was actually a fantastic experience. The family was lovely and really supportive. And I had some guidance counselors kind of help me to be able to get some help to go to university because I wasn't living with either parent and they weren't in a position or choosing to help me at all. So I went to university for uh, journalism, which I worked so hard to get into that. I missed a lot of school in high school. I'm not going to say I didn't, but I was always on the honor roll. So I always say, you know, they, they should have given me an award for being entrepreneur young, but they most certainly did not. (laughs) And that's a different story. I say, you know, I'm at school half the time, but I'm getting top grades. Like this should be (laughs) success story but no they did not agree with me you know it's funny and I'm gonna interrupt you you may be were you gonna say the same thing I have no idea go ahead and say it so just today Stace and I were talking about how entrepreneurs often have trouble with authority so at whatever level but like growing up if you go back and you look at your grow and I was like you know what that's I think Stace said it And I was like, you know what, when I go back, I did, I had trouble with authority and I had trouble with rules that were in place that didn't make sense. So, I mean, you saying that brought me back to our Because I'm reaching, I'm reading the book, um, the Patagonia book, Let My People Go Surfing. And he said in the book, he's like, I, I, well, he never, he never, he always had this thing, this, um, like, he never wanted to be called a businessman, ended up being a businessman, never wanted to be a businessman. But he said, but if you think about an entrepreneur, if you want a good entrepreneur, go look at a juvenile delinquent because that's what, you know, we all all are is we just, you know, we, we succeed, but we go against all the rules. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Sorry, yeah. I'm just sorry. No, it. no, I'm just like, yeah, it, it's well, and it, it's not funny that you bring that up, but it's interesting you bring it up because in grade eight, I had a teacher and I got suspended, but she essentially sat me down and said that she's like, you're going to be a juvenile delinquent. You're going to end up in jail. And I was like, what are you talking about lady? Like, I don't know where you're coming from right now. Like I just, I couldn't under, again, it wasn't logical to me what she was talking about. So I couldn't really follow her train of thought. Um, but yeah, I, I can, uh, I can see that there was definitely, if I, if I understood what they were talking about, I think I was good, but yeah, authority you know, I think there might've been a report card with something about that, but um, it's funny looking back, it makes sense. Right. But uh, anyways, yeah, it does. So, you know, ended up in 
university um, for, like I said, for journalism, which I wanted to get in so much to this specific program. And then I got involved with it and I didn't love it as much. I always wanted to get into broadcast journalism. And it's funny because now I speak all the time and I do so much that's very similar to that. But I didn't like the idea of getting in people's faces when they were upset to try to get information instead of to try to comfort or help. It just wasn't resonating um, with me. So I switched to psychology and my dad passed away October 3rd in my first year of university. So I was a month in, had went, hadn't seen him in two years and uh, he passed away. So that was an interesting time. And I got through that first year, took some time off and um, ended up uh, working, managing dental offices. I went out to Whistler and I ended up managing a retail store. I was like, I don't understand how that happened. I was just going to pick up some extra money, but um did that and then went back to school and I ended up to have my son. So I had my son in university, which kind of is what led me to get interested in leverage and real estate and things like that, because I took about a little bit of time off, not a lot. Like I went back to school and my son was just a couple of months old and um, I didn't want to go into kind of a small apartment or a difficult area. I was really concerned about that. So I rented a townhouse a little bit further from the university and started to take in exchange students or boarding students. And it was kind Kind of interesting, you know, to be like 21 with a baby on my hip waiting at the door for this 15 year old from Quebec who hasn't come home on time. So it was, you know, it, it was really good, though, because I realized that I could kind of figure things out and make my way. But long story short, I ended up to move back to Toronto, I got married, and that's where we started to get into investment properties. And the only reason I got my real estate license was to help us because we were buying properties, gutting them completely, like some of them didn't even have first floor, like completely open, making them into multi unit. So a ton of sweat equity, really just leaning into what we thought we could build and get a unit enough that we could live in it, you know, rent out, finish the other ones, rent them out, and then pull the equity to go to the next property. So I had two little kids at that point, and I'm renting out units, dealing with tenants, and I didn't really want to have another job. I didn't want to get my real estate license. And I look back, and it's funny, I resisted it so much. Um, and I finally got it and essentially went through a separation and ended up to get really good at real estate really fast because I had to. I had two little kids under the age of five and I was never the breadwinner. I did a lot, but we always had combined you know, accounts and investment properties and my husband was a firefighter. So we had a, a, a consistent salary there. So it was a really interesting time because in my first year with real estate, I had two little kids all of a sudden you know, going through this chaotic um, transition and I ended up to be top 1% in North America's largest real estate board for production. And I started realizing that there were ways I could approach the business to do far more real estate in much less time than the people around me. And that's what eventually led me to run a prior coaching company that was in some trouble, turn it around, recreate the content. And I sold the, my 50% of shares that I ended up to get in that company about four and a half years ago now. And I always say, looking back, it was such a gift. It's kind of like this time of crisis. We're talking a lot about, you know, becoming more efficient because of it, becoming more productive. And I say, you know, thank goodness that I ran towards a fire sale with that past company because it was just under $200,000 in debt, which for a small new company, that's, that was a lot at the time. And I had never run a business, but when you have to run so lean and rebuild and like figure out how to get consistent cash flow, When I started this company, I just felt like I was flying because it was so much easier 
to do it from nothing than it was from doing almost from behind, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. So yeah, so it's been an incredible um, journey. Looking back, it always makes sense. I always say it looks like it was a chain of unfortunate events for other people where I got opportunities, but I think they were going towards their fortunate events and so was I to mine, right? It just, it makes sense in retrospect. So let's let's go back a little bit. So you, you, you did not want to get your real estate license. You fought it, fought it, fought it. You did it. You got it out of necessity. You end up being number one. Well, top 1%. So oh, we, yeah. 1%. Yeah. Okay. How do you, what, how do you do that? I mean, you don't, you don't, you, you, you didn't, you didn't even want to be in real estate. How do you become yeah. in the top 1%? Now maybe that's your secret sauce that you can't say on, on the, <laughs> and we need to sign up to be in your program. But um, I mean, but that's, I mean, I think that's pretty much unheard of because a lot of, um, we have a lot of friends in real estate here in Charleston, South Carolina, and this is a big money area, um, big houses, lots of money to pay for them. It's a, it's a high cost living area. And I mean, I have no idea what it takes to be in the 1%. I don't even know what that number looks like in Canada or here, but um, I don't know if any of them have ever said they're in the top 1% in, in mm -hmm. our area or even the United States. So take, yeah. Kevin, take us what, what yeah, is that? Yeah, like? for sure. Well, a couple, I mean, and maybe you asking this question makes me realize it's not by accident, probably that our company works with top 1%, right? 80% of our clients are, and maybe it's because of that mentality. I think I've always, I've always wanted to, like, it's one of our slogans kind of, I don't know the right word, not a slogan, but anyways, model the best, forget the rest. So when I got into the real estate industry, I kind of, I went to, you know, 20 different teams and brokerages and interviewed all of them with, and I learned so much from doing that because the perspective was very different and the advice was very different. Their beliefs were like night and day. And I'm going, how am I interviewing all these different people in the same industry? And they have a completely different viewpoint of the industry, which led me to get really curious, right? What are people doing that's different when they're excelling? And what I think I found end of the day, I did join a, a team. I worked with a team, but what I found was ironically, the, the top 1% were doing what the majority of the rest did not want to do. And that's, like I said before, they had structure. They actually they were creating it as a business. It had to work. It had to make sense. It had to, you know, be profitable. And I think a lot of the traditional real estate is a little bit more of, you know, not throw things against the wall and see what works, but there's enough money that you don't have to be hyper-efficient. Like you can mm -hmm. kind of just get by and do okay. You know, um, in Toronto real estate board here, now we have about 60,000 agents. So, I mean, there's a lot of competition when I was top 1%, I think we had probably about 43,000 at that point. Um, so I think it was looking and wanting to model. I chose to go in an environment where I'd have high, volume of opportunities, but I didn't do it for that. I did it to learn. I said, if I can go, my whole thought process was I'm going to go and work with these people for one year. And when I'm done, I'm leaving. Like my commitment is one year, I'm out of here. One year later, I was doing so well. Everybody else who joined real estate at the same time as me, most of them had left the industry. They had done little to no deals. Um, I had a lot of repeat and referral already. And I kind of said, why wouldn't I continue to do this? And I realized that I was able to really put, like we called our genius, right? But your gifts, your talents, I was really able to do what I was great at and leverage the team I worked with to do the things that I've done in the past. Like I've managed dental offices. I've done, you know, setting up the structures and the CRMs and the, the administrative side of it. But in real estate, that's not where the bulk of the value with consumer comes from. It's not where the bulk of your money comes from.
right? So mm -hmm. I think that's how I really watched what, what the other people around me were doing who were top producers. And then I altered it to make it as efficient as possible because I didn't have as much time as them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there were a lot of systems, a lot of training. That's what I do now um, is help people set that up. So maybe that's part of it. Like I have a certain personality that really sees everything as integrated and connected. Like I don't, I don't, when somebody says, well, you can learn this one presentation or this one script in real estate to me, nothing's isolated like that. It's like everything leads to everything else. So once I could kind of connect all the dots, I found it really easy to do a lot of volume uh, of business because I knew my process. And so I was able to be really strong at it. I wasn't just recreating the wheel all the time. Hmm. Your story is really fascinating. So it sounds like every time you were backed up against the wall, you came out swinging even harder in a great way, not like swinging to hit somebody, but literally swinging for the fences, you know, and saying, I'm going to be backed up against the wall, but that's what gives you the drive and the energy to, um, to really make something of yourself in those hard moments. Um, so it's, it's in, very inspirational. So thank you for, for sharing that. So what does that look? So you said when you were in the top 1%, it was, I mean, what, it would be like the top 400 or something like that, 40, 43,000, right? Wouldn't that be, that'd be if I, my math is right. I think it's the top four. Hold on. Yeah, the top fourth, whatever. But I mean, the, like that's that's pretty significant. So is so you said that's in order to get into that yeah, for those of us who don't understand real estate, that's because of the volume or the dollar amount that you sell, or are you nominated in that, or how did you no, get into it, that? Yeah, great question. So it can be one of two things. They'll do it based on what's called GCI, so gross commission income, or it's based on units. So for me, because I worked with a team, so I had them help me with like certain aspects of the, the business. For me, it was with units because I didn't, I didn't take a full, in real estate, there's this, we call it GCI mindset because everybody gets awards for basically the equivalent of what a business would get in gross income, but they're not looking at the net, right? So I worked in an environment where I paid people to do certain things. So my income was full net. So I could be doing phenomenally more transactions. Other people would get an award for the gross amount, but they're not disclosing their, their expenses, so to speak. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. It does. It does. So you also talked about your genius, right? Which is like your giftedness and all of that. So number one, how did you, first of all, what do you think that is for you? What's your genius? And then two, how do you go about discovering that for a listener who's like, man, that sounds really awesome. I'm not sure what mine is. I don't know what my passion is or whatever. How do you go about discovering that? Yeah, I think there's a few different ways that, well, we work with people to figure out a few different ways. I mean, one is just an energy thing. Like I'm a big believer in flow and frequency and I'm constantly doing things to get my energy levels up because I want to set my goals and my visions. Everything comes at a high energy level. So I want to maintain that so I can actually achieve what I uh, envision. But so I think energy is a big one. Like if you start to tap into where do I feel energized? Where do I feel inspired? Where do I feel creative? You know, where do I get in? to that true flow mindset because we truly do bend time and bend value when we can get in a flow state because we can get so much more done because our brains are optimal, right? Like it's, it's in the middle of being stressed and being bored. It's like, you're not overstimulated, you're not understimulated. You're in an area of your mastery 
and you can kind of just flow on it and look to, uh, what do you call it? Like just be immersed in your craft kind of thing. So if you have areas of your life where you're like, I just forget myself and I kind of just flow with it and I come out of it after and I have this like little bit of a positive high, that's Mm -hmm. a great indicator of an area of genius or talent or ability. Um, And lots of people have genius or talent and they never work on it, right? So they never get to the place where they get to experience flow because you still want to get into like a high level of mastery. Because if you don't, essentially, I believe, and I've seen, uh, if you don't um, internalize your craft, you're always focused on what do I say next? Or what do I do next? Or how does this go? But people who are in their genius, they know the basics. So they're focusing all those little nuances, so they can be immersed in it, like they're, they're beyond step one. So I think that's one way. Another way is really getting feedback. You know, a lot of drivers are great at pushing their messages out into the world, but they're not, we're naturally, and I'm what we're not naturally not as good in asking questions and getting feedback. So we have the most blind spots, whereas those who are helping us usually have all of our feedback, but they're not disclosing what they want as much to other people. So I think asking people like, what do you count on me for? Or when do you think of times where I'm your go-to person? Like what, what, what do you think would be my top thing that I'd help you with if you needed something? And people around us actually see our gifts so much clearer and easier than we do. Mm-hmm. Like I, I look back and I, I try to, sometimes people say to me, like, I feel I was taken advantage, right? I didn't think I was paid for properly. It's like paid properly. It's like, that's why it's important to know what your gifts are because you can never negotiate for yourself or help motivate or propel your career forward. If you don't actually know the value of what you're bringing to the table. And I find a lot of people really don't. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd say that like energy clue into how you feel, if it's depleting you and you're exhausted, probably a sign that that's not your area of genius. If you're avoiding it, and you try to always put it off to last minute that like those ones are more clear. Like that's not a genius area, right? That's where I want someone to help me. And would you say everybody has genius areas? Absolutely. And, and I've done work, like it's a decade now where I've done training that included that. And, and I love that you asked that question because I'll have people come up or they'll email me sometimes. Cause sometimes they don't, I'm thinking when I've done not now, like in-person training, but they'll come up and they'll be like, I really, I don't think I have one. Like, I don't think I have a talent. I don't think I'm, I'm really worried. Like, what if I don't? It's like, everybody has one. Everybody has one. Maybe you figure it out later on in life. Maybe, maybe you need to eliminate some, you know, uh, pain or trauma or, or hard things that you went through that made you think that mm-hmm. you weren't as gifted or as worthwhile. And when you can kind of get the weight of that off, all of a sudden you're like, wow, okay. I noticed I'm really good at some things. I, I fully believe every single person has one. Absolutely. Mm. I, I mean, this is just an assumption that women may have trouble tapping in the, into that um, because they're they're preoccupied with families. Um, I mean, we don't have a family, but we have the things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know you're you're worried about dinner and you're worried about your children and you're worried about this and that. And so, and all that to say is we've had. I mean, we have our coaching firm and we've ha- had older clients. And when I say older, their children are beyond diapers and. Oh. And they're coming yeah. back into the workforce. And this is when they're finding their genius because they're able to mm-hmm. like breathe a minute and realize that, they, that they're valued they're, They do have value to add. And that's when they get into mm-hmm. to their, their forever career or their forever, whatever, you know, as entrepreneurs. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, you know, over the years, I talk about a lot that I think men probably have this as well, but they don't bring it up as much to me. But there's a lot of, um, what do you call it? 
uh, oh, how do I say this? There's a lot of divide for a lot of the women clients I work with. And again, they're very successful, but they feel very torn between their, mm -hmm. their home values, their work values. They feel they're constantly really hard on themselves of mm -hmm. trying to be everything and do everything. But usually when we break it down, it's external definitions on how to do everything, be everything. And I found this came up in my book a lot because I'll go to talks and, and the ironic thing is usually what's your genius is hard, is the hardest thing to teach. Like mm -hmm. I can teach all the things I learned, but it's really hard for me to teach the things like time management. No, it's just like, put it in your schedule. If you're like, you're, you're like a time management guru, you do all this stuff. It's like, but that's just because I hyper-prioritize. Like I've just had to, when you don't have enough time, you have to do it. It's just like a necessity thing. But the other one um, that people often ask me about is that they're like, okay, but you have kids and you have this business and you know, you, you were separated from their dad. Like, how did you figure it out? And that was probably the most painful things that I went through after the separation, because there was so much judgment. There was so many opinions. They were telling my kids opinions who were telling it to me. And I felt, you know, violated with it in my own home. Like it was so difficult. And a lot of what came up when I wrote the book, because I let myself go into flow state was actually those experiences and realizing that the minute I say, no, I decide like my definition, how I want to do it. I decide how I want to be a mom and how I want to be a business leader. That's when it finally just all fell away because they were just mirroring at me, my fear, right? Like I was scared. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not being a good mom because I'm working so much. Maybe I'm not being great at business because, you know, I'm running around all the time with the kids. And then all of a sudden, the minute that I just like said, no, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. Even if they tried to have the judgment, it just fell on deaf ears. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right. Like later on, you come back for women in general, I think it is more difficult. I mean, I think the research shows as well that we don't honor our gifts as much, right? We'll say it's luck or we'll say it's because people were more collaborative naturally, which is a gift, but it also might make us less likely to see our personal talents, which is a journey for yeah. sure. Yeah. Good, good stuff. What's your zone of genius? Oh, um, you know what? It's interesting because I ask other people <laughs> this and I go in a lot of personal development and it's funny for years, they would say to me, like, you're so hyper-focused, like, you know, exactly what you want to achieve and where you're going. And you always seem intensely focused on things, but, and I, and I get it why they're saying it's, it's that, and people will tell me you can ground down, but you can also move forward very, very quickly. And you can make feel, people feel comfortable in your presence doing it. So like other people would be scared to build their business as quick as they do because you can make them feel grounded, they can move very quickly in comfort to build. Um, but I think my genius, to be honest, I think it's, it's my ability to see patterns. I think I can see very clearly patterns and how things are playing out, either in how people process things mentally, how they run their businesses, um, things that they think are a fluke and are not connected. I can kind of source them back to earlier steps in the business process or, you know, little decisions they don't even realize they're making. Like I'm really, um, my brain naturally looks for patterns and then how to change them to make them better and more efficient, which is why I try to model success and model what works. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, so you became a real estate agent out of necessity. You became in the top 1%. What, um, pushed you past this, you know, to be where you are today? Um, so how long did you do real estate and what was like, what was your, what was like the pivoting point where you're like, I can actually help more people and, and build, I mean, and take my theory and my, my product to the masses. 
Yeah. And you just like, that was the perfect way to frame the question. Cause the reality was when I transitioned from selling full-time to coaching, I took a pay cut. Like it was about helping more people. And it was because I felt energized and I felt like it was what I was meant to do. And I was willing to take the pay cut now to have something I believed would be bigger, more important and, and better fit for me um, later on. So I think my last year doing both was 2012. Um, but I was with a team and I think I had to, I know I had to kind of push a lot to the point where I said, Hey, like either I'm going into coaching. Cause at that point I wasn't taking over that coaching company. It was just associated with the sales team that I worked with. And I said, either I'm getting involved in coaching or I'm, I'm leaving because they didn't want me to stop selling because I was a top salesperson. So they're kind of like, Hey, do both. And I, I kept, and I look back, I do letters from the future every year. And I found some of them when I was dreaming about coaching full-time and dreaming about not selling real estate. And I look back, I was like, oh my gosh, like at the time it was such a huge vision. Like it was just a dream. It wasn't anything more. So essentially I did get the chance to start um, coaching. And then there were three owners. They were not getting along whatsoever. Um, our director of coaching got let go and they said, Kathleen, Hey, do you, you want to be director of coaching? And I remember thinking, and they wanted me to be director of marketing. And I, I was okay with director of coaching. I could envision that director of marketing. I was like, no, no, no. Like you have two different people doing these roles. I've never done either of them. Like I'll take on director of coaching. So <laughs> I got involved in that eventually ended up to do the marketing anyway. And then I took over director of operations, but I was listening in the morning when my kid in the morning, I'd have a shower and I'd put on like a chapter of think and grow rich or something else motivational. But that one was big then because the kids were not in the washroom, hopefully most of the time. And I could listen to the, the audio chapter. I wasn't reading it, the audio chapter and something in me just kept saying, you are this company. Like you run the company, you're turning it around your hearts in the company. Like you need to own the company. And something in me kept saying you need 50% ownership. And I don't know if it's because the other three owners just had such a, so much turmoil and I didn't want to be in a position where I didn't have enough power to, to make change and to protect myself. So I basically kind of sat down with the other owner and said, Hey, listen, like, I love what I'm doing. I'm happy to take over, you know, continue to be director of operations, take over, but I need half of the company and I need a hundred percent decision-making power. And Looking back, I, I, like I talk about having the audacity to rebel a lot in my talks, but I look back on that moment and this was a very strong, strong, um, opinionated, verbal, like expressive uh, person. I was sitting down in front of it. I look back and I still don't know how I had the audacity to say that to him and his head almost like spun like mm -hmm. 10 ways. But six months later, eventually he did, he did give me that ownership and he did give me, um, the full decision-making. And that's when I transitioned fully to coaching. Cause I knew I had to like the type of debt the company had in Canada, even if you go bankrupt, I don't know in the U S but it's like uh, employees first deductions taxes. Like there's no hiding from it. So basically I took 50% of that debt in an agreement when the company got strong again, that, you know, I'd make what I should make, but I'd also have this great opportunity. So I was a little bit naive and I kind of thought I could protect myself with agreements and my vision and all this stuff. So a couple of years later, the company, you know, all, all the content was redone. We had really strong, consistent clients. Our retention was like night, night and day. And we finally cleared all the debt and that silent owner said, well, Kathleen, I want to go in a different direction, you know, something more plug and play. And, uh, it just, it was just a horrible situation because my whole heart was in that company. You know, like I had missed mm -hmm. things with my kids. I had worked late at night. I had put everything into it. Like it was like a child for me. And I always envisioned being there. It wasn't my name on the company. I didn't care. 
I envisioned being there forever. And essentially, you know, I offered to buy the shares of the other owner a couple of times, didn't work out. And one day I went to go to the office because he had sent a message and the doors were locked. I was like, how's this working? The lease is in our company. I have full decision-making, like it was all in writing, but we were so busy building. We hadn't done, like, it was all at the lawyer already. Thank goodness. But we hadn't gone in to do the final, like, okay, move the shares technically on the Mm. corporate documents. So it was really bad because the bank got sent old documents and told I wasn't an owner. My clients got told I was fired and I was the only one that they'd ever worked with. Right. It was just, yeah, it was real. I look back like it was, I was terrified because again, Mm. I had the two kids and I was like, what do, what do I do? How am I going to make money? And I had somebody come up, but just by accident, like I always say, people give me advice at the perfect times and probably why I believe in energy and flow so much. But somebody said to me like, first of all, I found out that he was banking on me being a single mom and not having the guts or the resources to do anything about it. And that didn't sit well with me. But somebody else said to me, they're like, if you believe in it and you know, it's right, like leverage your house, take out a line of credit, do whatever you have to do to stand up for yourself. Because I was having a lot of trouble, um, uh, aligning my self-image because everything I was was in this business and I thought it was all gone. And so it, it was dark. It was really hard, but I did. I, I took out, um, I took out a line of credit on the house. I hired an insane uh, lawyer because they kept having to move me to another specialist because they kept saying, who would do this? It makes no sense. We don't face stuff like this every day, but the tides did turn um, and my shares got bought. I ended up to get half the clients and I got to retain ownership of all the client, all the content. So in regular business world, that would have never, ever yeah. happened. So mm. it's like the fates just like tipped. I always say your intention dictates your outcome. It might take years in the dark, but eventually it does. And yeah. So, you know, that's how it brought about to have the company I have now. So it's like, that's why I say looking back, it makes sense. But at the time, I mean, what a weird journey. So that was in 2012. 20, no, 2015. So I ran that company for five years and then 2015, December 1st, I was allowed to officially like bill and put my new company name out. Mm. Did your clients come back? Well, the half chose just to come with us. And then I ended up two months in to be full and bring on another coach. But at the beginning I was like, oh my gosh, you know, my clients are going to go back to selling. And I had no idea but we did the first year in the new company, we did 38% more gross sales than the prior company ever did. The second year, 68%. So, you know, like who would have thought, right? Wow. I, I love this story so much. And I feel like I could talk to you for hours, um, but I'm in the middle right now of reading Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, uh, the founder of Nike, Nike um, tennis shoes. And, you know, it's interesting. His whole thing was tell the truth and do the right thing and it will all be okay. Like as long as you tell the right, the, tell the truth and do the right thing, even if it's unpleasant, even if people don't want to hear it, even if anything, like ultimately the tides will turn and karma is really real, right? If you're, if you're not a good person, she's a bitch, but if you're a good person, it's wonderful. I mean, karma is a wonderful thing and it's the energy and the flow that you're talking about where, um, you know, you just doing the right thing. And I love that statement, your intentions decide your outcome. Um, it's so good because it's like, just keep walking in the right direction. If you believe in something, do not give up because if your intentions decide, determine your outcome, then you will move in that direction of 
of achieving what you're wanting to set out to achieve. So that's, that's just really good advice. Thank you for, for sharing that with us. Okay. So through your firm, um, Kathleen Black Coaching Consulting, it seems like from, if what I'm hearing is correct, you sort of have two areas of focus. So one is the speaking engagements that you do. And then the second is individual and maybe group coaching, right? Is that, is that true? Or is there more to um, your firm? Yeah. So we, we do a few things. So we run um, ultimate team summit and that's the biggest team specific uh, summit in North America for uh, real estate, but team team focused. And we run ultimate hundred deal plus mastermind. So those are two big events in the real estate world, but ultimate team summit is expanding to like other um, industry related professions. We do online group coaching workshops, and then I have a team of coaches and they all have their own genius, which is really cool. So they train on our stuff and then they bring like a special component because teams need multiple perspectives. Um, And we train individual agents as well. And then I do talks and now the book and all sorts of fun stuff. We're, We're always looking to connect in new ways. And I'm always coming up with new fun ways to connect. And I said, my team gets worried, right? I'm like, I'm going to go on a hike and I'll come back with all these ideas. So I said, that's what I, now I write books. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So what's your, what's your book called? Oh, the top 1% life, which is about the life, not the money, but the life. Yeah. 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 So, um, the top 1% life. So do you, do you highlight different people who you believe are in that top 1% or is it, uh, kind of a roadmap of how to become in that top 1% or what, what's that, what's the premise of that book? Yeah, it's a couple of things. So if, if it's been picked up by a publisher and just for people listening in who are not real estate, they're actually releasing it in a general business book now. So it's not going to be real estate specific because everybody who's read it outside of the real estate industry, like Kathleen, this isn't a real estate book. Like, I don't know what you think you wrote, but it's not. Um, so a lot of it is it, the premise behind the whole thing is beyond the stand in the storm, like having those eye of the storm moments and getting clarity and strong on who you are and then doing what you need to do to create structure in your life. So you can have freedom because I've helped like hundreds of uh, teams become top 1% nationally. Like that's what we do. But the reality is a lot of them were not happy. Their health wasn't great. They were burning out. Like this, this was not what I signed up to help people with. Right. So we really did a flip and realized when we help people get the vision of top 1% life, it's easier to build the business. They build the business as a vehicle to their fulfillment, their happiness. And the business doesn't perform less in general. It performs better because we get out of our own way. We're like, I don't, want to be locked in this business the rest of my life just to have a top 1% business. Like what type of a goal is that? Right. But mm-hmm. on surface, it seems like a good goal, but I don't find it plays out as a great goal. Yeah. So where can people get, get your book? Did you say? Yeah. Right now I can send you guys a link um, after, but right now you can download the digital copy for free because the right. publishers let us give it away. So it's top one, like just the number, but then the word percentlife.com. You just get a okay. free download. Yeah. We'll put that link in the show notes for sure. So thank you for writing that. So I have a question for you. So, I mean, obviously your life has been built around, not your life, but your, your, your um, career has been built around the real estate. What made you see past real estate to say, I could help other people beyond just the real estate um, sector of, of the world, you know? So what made you see that what you were doing could help anybody in any career or any stay-at-home mom or anyone doing whatever they want to do 
Yeah, for sure. I think um, impact, right? That That's what made me want to do that. I mean, end of the day, the reason I took the pay cut from real estate to get into the coaching company was to have more impact. And when people say, why don't you just run your own team? I was like, because I can help hundreds of teams run teams. And that's more fulfilling for me. And I, I think our goal is to have the biggest global impact we can, not because it's it's kind of like the Steve job thing, right? Like we help people get aligned and we power up people so that they'll do what they're capable of doing. We just happen to do it in real estate. And that's really true. We're realizing more and more, like I started to write the book and something in me kept saying like, don't make it overly real estate specific because it's, it's not. And I don't know where that came from, but I think it was always the vision to organically grow a little bit bigger because I think you know, any one of the many things that have happened in my life or happened in anyone's lives could hold us back. And I think I forget that some people do get held back, you know, water does come on their boat and they get stopped at that place. And I look back and I think about, you know, the tools and the mentality. And it's like, you don't have to get stopped there. Like those things can actually propel you forward, can take as much as somebody pushes you down, it's going to spring you two times, two times up after. And I, I don't know. I figure everything that I've, um, not that I've been through a lot, but I've been through a couple of things. It's like, it was meant on purpose to be able to stand strong in the same storms, but they'll feel like a little bit of rain now. Right. So I can have more, because what is leadership? It's like the, the problems we're willing to take on and our capability to solve them. And I want more of that capacity. And I think I can help other people do that and imagine what they're going to do in the world. Right. Like it all just pays forward. I think, I hope. Yeah. So somebody's stuck in a storm right now and they don't want to be stuck there. I don't think any of us enjoy being stuck in a storm, um, but they're, they're there and they're going, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to be in the top 1% in the middle of this storm. What would you say to them? Well, I'd say a couple of things. I'd say first, um, have some type of like, I've always had some type of mantra, or I, I don't call it affirmation, but question, like something I'd say to myself. So things, when things get hard, it's like, you know, you're meant to be surrounded by respectful people and people encourage your, your growth and, um, you know, your positivity, like whatever it's needed to be like getting out of, you know, mm -hmm. difficult relationship that wasn't good for me. And there's days where I probably said that to myself 200 times, just cause I had to have faith on where it, where it was going. Um, like in a practical sense, I think it's literally model the best. Like it, we're in a time of intellectual property, right? Like you can invest to find out what people know and they've spent their li lifetimes figuring out how to do these things. And if that's your area of expertise, I don't think anybody gets to top 1% anymore without, you know, the old school, you're standing on the shoulder of giants, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I want to learn as much as I can know as quick as possible. Like we say, take what somebody else spent 10 years to master and we can duplicate in a team member in like a year and a half. Yeah. Right. So that's, you know, and then there's other people who live their same year in our industry, their whole entire career. So yeah, I think it's model the best invest in, in, um, training, but the big thing is it, like, I always had this thing in me when things got hard and I used to not share it with people cause I was scared. They'd think it was egotistical and it doesn't come from, I'm pretty good at calling out my ego. It didn't came, come from an ego place, but it was like things we get hard or I say, maybe you're not meant to do this or maybe you should quit. And it was like something inside me is like, you're built to win. Even as a little kid, it'd be like, you're built to win. Like that's what you're built for. So of course you're going to figure it out. And it's a weird little thing, but it's weird little things in our head that keep us going and keep us on track. Right. Yeah. That is so good. Three little words can make all the difference, mm. right? You're built to win or what I mean for, but win. built to win. I mean, that can be, that can be all the, um, the incentive that somebody needs to begin believing in themselves again. So that's great stuff. Thank you, Kathleen. 
sadly, we need to wrap this up. I wish we could just keep talking with you and learning from all of your wisdom and expertise, but we need to wrap this up. So what we're going to do is um, the way that we wrap up all of our podcasts is we have a, a list of questions from one to 70. Um, and so if you give Stoya, if you give mm-hmm. her a number between one and 70 and then me, and then we'll wrap it up. All right. So start with okay. Steve. Sounds good. 67. 67. Right. Who has been the most influential person in your life? Oh my goodness. Who has been the most influential person in my life? Well, I mean, I think there's the, like, I love, you know, Jungian, like Carl Jung. And I think, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt, like people who thought differently and were really mm-hmm. principled and could lean into the hard work. But I don't think I have one because number one, I'm an introvert. So most of my mentors are authors and people who are long dead, right? Like, and That's I have okay. reverence for their knowledge, but you know, I didn't meet them. <laughs> so that is okay. I mean, I, I mean, Eleanor Roosevelt is one of my, like, she, she I just, love her and, and, uh, Jackie O. And so I think that that answer is perfect. Yeah. All right. One to 70, uh, 24, 24. What was a moment in your career where you said, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I mean, it was sort of that pinnacle moment where you said this, this is it. Oh, there was a moment the first time I ever went on stage with the original coaching company because I had to push and push and push because they didn't want to let me because they wanted me to keep selling real estate, right? So finally, they gave me a chance. They're like, show up tomorrow. You have to memorize all this stuff and you're going to go up on stage. And I remember at then the prior director of coaching going, are you nervous? And I was like, no. And he goes, you're lying. Everyone would be nervous. And then the graphic designer and the tech person came over to me. He goes, KB, that's how you call me. Really? Like, are you nervous? I said, no, I was born to do this. I was meant to do this. And I know a hundred percent I'm meant to be here right now. And he goes, you know what? I actually believe you. And I got up and I did it and I got a standing ovation and I was just like something in me. I was like, yep, this is, this is the start of something you're supposed to do. So that was it. It was great. Wow. That's crazy. And you're introverted, which I mean, on top of that, but I guess when you're there on stage, it's not, you're not having to interact with people one-on-one. <laughs> That's why I always tell people, I'm like, I'd rather be on stage with thousands of people than like, I don't do small talk. I don't have that gene. Right. But I was like, really on stage, you're, you're talking to people, but you're also kind of talking to yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. What a, what a great conversation. Uh, just really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit as we figured we would. So mm-hmm. listeners, thank you so much for hitting play on us this week. We sure do appreciate it. Um, if there's, any nuggets that you took from this, um, the one that I would say to you to just highlight is that you were built to win. I mean, that is such a such a uh, small but mighty phrase that if we actually mm-hmm. applied that to our lives, how different our lives might be. So anyway, go out there, make it an awesome day and go give love to people, to someone today, whether it's on a Zoom call or in person or whatever. Um, our world sure does need more of that. So Hope it's a great week. Thanks.